May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. Hello again. My name is uh, Jeremy Boyd. I'm here with... uh, Alex. Alex Klusterman. Klusterman, Which, uh, do you know what your last name means? I'm sure you do. (laughs) It it has to do with uh, the root word, uh, a cloister. cloister. Yeah. So so someone who lives near a cloister. A monastery. Yeah, monastery. Yeah. You're yeah. like the guy that takes care of the monastery. Yeah. 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 And yeah. now I'm the guy who lives in one. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wish. <laughs> Increasingly, I wish. I have no idea what my last name means. It's some Scottish nonsense. Who oh, knows? yeah. Boyd. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. It's not like Smith or something exciting like that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're back again. This is episode number three. We are keeping this roll going here. Week in, week out, coming at you with the hard-hitting stuff here. (laughs) What are we talking about today? We are talking about courage. Now, I did get a little more uh, heads up this week rather than last week, so... um, it's all on me if I don't perform properly. <laughs> well, last week was great. I thought it was good. Sometimes it's better to not overthink things, you know, just like there's no pressure. Yeah. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm willing to talk. So I thought this week uh, we would talk about courage for two reasons. One, the scriptures prioritize courage and uh, courage is a um, massive and a crucial priority for Christians. It should be a part. So I, I thought, you know what, let's talk about it. Um, contextually, I think a lot of the problems we are in as a church, as a culture, come down to a um, a lack of courage, right? especially in leadership. And leaders are to model courage for the people who look up to them, mm-hmm. follow them, whether it be pastors, politicians, parents, um, whoever it is, employers, uh, courage is uh, an important thing. Mm-hmm. Um I'm going to read from Revelation. I think Sounds pulls good. out pulls this idea out pretty clearly. So Revelation 2, 10, we read, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. So we read in that passage that uh, fear is put in opposition to faithfulness. Do not fear and instead be faithful. And as I tell our church, fear is the enemy of faithfulness. So if we want to live faithful Christian lives, we have to know how to deal with our fear. He goes on in the book of Revelation in in chapter 21, verse 8, to really drive home the danger of giving in to fear, namely cowardice. He says, uh, John writes, but as for the cowardly, Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And we did a podcast on this with Jason in the PGU. But basically, um, a lot of people think that fear is not ideal. I mean, no no one would say that it's a good thing. Um, But often we view ourselves as victims to our fears, powerless over our fears, and that fear is really a neutral, harmless thing except to ourselves. Right. We, we look at it like fear is being imposed on us from outside. Yeah, it's imposed from something, outside. Something's happening outside. The fear is the feeling we have. Yeah. And so how can you help but have a feeling of fear when you're in danger or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and 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 even further than that, there's no real moral consequence tied to fear. 
right? It's just something that we deal with through therapy. Um, we, we deal with it in a therapeutic way with people. But the Bible tells us that fear is the enemy of faithfulness and that it's actually morally, we're morally culpable for, for what we fear. Right. And we are commended for our fear of the Lord and encouraged in that, commanded in that. Or we are condemned, as we read in Revelation 21, for our fear, uh, unrighteous fears, fear of man, uh, which leads to unfaithfulness. Right. And a lot of people don't think of fears as something that we will, you know, uh, that's sinful, basically. Right. And and in Revelation, would you say he's talking about, um, you know, he's not condemning the world for cowardice, necessarily. Is he condemning people who would have professed to be believers who turned back, you know, they put their hand to the plow and then they turned back. Well, I think, I think revelation 21 is talking about the world unbelievers, but revelation two, he's exhorting as scripture does more than any other exhortation, not to be afraid to God's people because fear is always a constant danger in a world full of threats. Um, and, and that's something we're going to talk about more in the podcast. So do not fear is a command that's repeated way more than any other command in scripture because we are prone to it and because the world is a dangerous place. So if fear is actually a real danger for us as Christians, and if it's something that is condemnable, we need to know how we walk with courage. Right. That's the point. And that's what we want to, that's what we want to talk about today. And uh, it seems like we're in a crisis of courage. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you read the news and you uh, read and listen to leaders, supposed leaders inside and outside of the church, and you just you just feel like there's a crisis in courage. Um, what I thought we could touch on is, you know, the roadblocks or the obstacles to courage, both in the culture, you know, what are the culture idea, cultural ideas and assumptions, beliefs that we hold that actually um, not only prevent, but actively, you know, discredit any act of courage. And then think about perhaps what values even Christians have adopted, even within the church, certain values that are not biblical values that undermine courage, because it, it's a systemic thing. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a pervasive problem yeah. uh, that we need to that we need to deal with. Um, I would say we know it's pervasive too, because we know it's, we know it from personal experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's one thing to, to look at the leaders of the church and say, okay, they're not being courageous, mm-hmm. but we all know mm-hmm. in our hearts that we're not courageous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. When we think of uh, some of the big cultural issues that it seems like we're never going to have any success in these areas, like abortion or whatever, whatever it happens to be. Oh, there's no way I can do anything about that. Yeah. It's mostly just a fear of ridicule, a fear of man yeah. that's driving that, um, defeatism. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So when we look at the Canadian landscape and this is, you know, one thing we want to touch on in the podcast is Canadian related issues. Uh, God bless our neighbors south of us and across the pond, but it's a little, we're, we're probably more like Europe in this regard. Um, so if you look at our cultural values, uh, of safety, compliance, carefulness, um, basically adopting a collectivist mentality of things. Uh, courage is seen not as a virtue, but the actual demonstration of courage is often viewed as a vice. Mm-hmm. So what I'm trying to say is not only is courage hard because it's always hard to overcome your fears, 
But it's hard in a particular way for us because our culture looks at real, genuine, authentic courage and actually says that's bad. Not noble, but difficult, which would be an obstacle. But actually, that's not a virtue. That's a vice. To a culture that values safety, courage is actually dangerous. Right. And I mean, give me some examples because it's so our culture hasn't really gone to war uh, in the last number of decades, we don't yeah. have those examples of courage. Yeah. Um, so trying to trying to picture something that you're talking about, where somebody has stood up to be courageous and has been ridiculed. I mean, we can think of some recent examples in government, perhaps. Or- yeah. There's. I mean, there's <laughs> recent examples of you know a politician coming out publicly and just wanting a conversation against yeah. the dominant narrative to say, look, here's the the stats and the figures that we're dealing with. There's serious questions on a rational basis here. We need to have a, a real conversation and immediately axed. And another yeah. one uh, months ago who was who stood up against, um, you know, legislation that basically stopped our government from functioning as a healthy parliament and and consolidated all the authority into one branch of government, which means we're not functioning as a democratic country the way people, most people probably think we are. The legislature hasn't been meeting, at least not in a healthy way, to hold the executive branch accountable, these types of things. And she was asked as mm-hmm. well. So when people kind of pop their head above the, 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 the turret, the, the turret <laughs> uh, they're just picked off. And again, what is said about them, they are dangerous. Yeah, They are dangerous. And so... You touched on, because we are a culture that is not engaged in war, we have been privileged and peaceful. There are certain things that we value that we can idolize. And if we idolize those things, courage is actually a threat. So those things are safety. Uh, The other one is compliance. And to a culture that values compliance in an idolatrous way, uh, courage is rebellion. Right. So you see courage in a safe culture, it's dangerous. Courage in a compliant culture, it's rebellious. Courage in um, a careful culture, it's reckless. Courage in a peaceful culture, it's conflict, right. disruption. Right. This is why when you see examples of courage in communist countries in the past, that Courage usually led to exile, isolation. Yeah, you're going to the you're going to the camp. You're going to Siberia. Right? Yeah, yeah. So that that courage is rebellion, and it needs to be punished as yes. rebellion. It's yeah. actually morally reprehensible. Yeah, and um, courage that's that's a problem because courage is necessarily true. Courage is a standing against the grain, whether that be the majority, whether that be the powerful. Um, it means engaging in conflict. And there's no courage required to go with the flow. But Canadian values say you should go against the flow. You know, you should be about safety, compliance, carefulness, and peace. That's what it means to yeah. be a good person. And we, if, if, if that's what it means to be good and right. virtuous, then the true virtue of courage will look like a vice. Now, to be clear, we agree with all of those values. Yes. But they all have to be in their proper order and in their proper proportion. Yes. So compliance to, uh, compliance is good, but it has to be compliance to the proper authorities. Yeah. In the proper context. Of course. The same reason why your pastor can't come and tell you how to spend your money. Yeah. Is because he's not authoritative in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And so we would comply with our elders. We would comply with our 
public officials, but yeah. to a point and only up to a point where God says they have control over these areas yeah. of your life. So it's not like we don't agree with these things. We're no. just putting them in their proper proportion. Yes. And that's why I use the term, you know, to idolize them, to right. take them out of their, their rightful place. So no safety and compliance, uh, Carefulness and the love of peace are not bad things in and of themselves, but when they become uh, ultimate things Mm -hmm. and that can never, ever, ever be challenged, then they are idols and they are very dangerous. And on the flip side of this, to drive it home as well, uh, dangerous, rebellious, reckless, and, uh, you know, conflict type behavior isn't inherently courageous. I mean, terrorists can do those things and, and abusive angry people can engage in that. And, you know, avoiding these things doesn't make you virtuous, but engaging in them doesn't, uh, uh, make you virtuous either. Right. It depends how you, um, it depends how you are engaging with your motive, you know, these types Mm -hmm. of things. So I just want to get that off the bat that part of the reason courage is so sparse is that if we see courage in our current cultural climate, we often wrongly interpret it as uh, as bad behavior. Right. And so if we recognize that bias that we have, that we're on a better path, um, you know, we can grow, we can change mm-hmm. and we can, we can see, okay, well, what does, what does true courage look like? I think if anybody wants a good view of how courage is treated, go on YouTube or any other video site and look up, people who are doing open air preaching and see what kind of response they get from the crowd. Usually the harshest response are from people who claim to be Christians. Yeah. And it's, it's funny that that's they're you know, they're doing something that I don't have the courage to do. Yeah. Get out there and actually preach the gospel in the street. Yeah. And the harshest criticism comes from the church. So bring this into the church now. How yeah. is, what are these vices we talked about in the, you know, Canadian values, what are the the uh, analogs to those in the church? Yeah, and this is this is super important. That's a great example because even in this time, um, you know, there's disagreement around the issue of should churches be meeting or not meeting. And I just want to say that I totally have categories for churches that aren't meeting. There's a variety of reasons that don't have anything to do with uh, courage, a lack of courage or faithfulness. Um, a pastor could, for example, respect the plurality of elders. He could be one of five guys and the other guys are not on the same page and the congregation is on the same page. And his duty as a pastor is to patiently, prayerfully persuade. And he wants to uphold the healthy uh, relationships of the church. And he's not giving up his convictions. He's actually getting to work on them by praying, by seeking to persuade through the word. Um, You know, there's a limit to that. Obviously, there's some things that a man can't just go along with because no one else is on the same page. Mm -hmm. Um, But there is a category that you could be meeting in a facility that's not your own. Mm-hmm. And you have no choice in the matter. And you and it's winter time and you have no real alternatives and you try to do your best. So I'll just say at the beginning, what I'm not saying is um that there's not there are not legitimate disagreements about how to uh act in various situations. And it's not just you're a coward if you're not. Having said all that, one of the most discouraging parts of the last ten months has seen um very vocal people, pastors who are not opening, uh, be more uh, concerned with defending their own image than developing convictions. Mm-hmm. And doing so 
um, seeking to discredit and slander and undermine uh, those who are standing. It's kind of like the guy who street preaches. It's like, look, and I'm in this boat. I don't always know if street preaching is a great way of doing things that I often look at street preachers or sometimes, and I think, you know what, I would, you know, I'm not sure if that's the best way. And I would want to know, like, are you reaching out to people in your own life? Like, are you loving your neighbors or is this kind of a way of getting around actually engaging with people? It's because sometimes it's easier to stand at a different, at a distance and just say things than it is to actually engage. So I have those categories, but I ain't, this is a great example. I don't go out publicly slam street preachers yeah, because they are showing courage and they're preaching the gospel. And um, my goal is not to discredit and undermine them. But the people who do want to discredit them, they do it because they're defensive. They feel like that guy's making them look bad as Christians. Yeah. You're going to give me a bad name because people don't like what you're doing. Yeah. And that's just cowardice. Yeah. It's like, Hey man, like, if that guy makes you look bad, then just, then just, yeah. But I won't, I, anyways, I won't say what I was going to say, but just, <laughs> it's not your, it's not, what is that to you? You know what I mean? And you will answer to your master yeah. and serve Christ as you can. Um, so what are the things within the church? Well, one of the biggest ones in Canada is conflict bad. Always. Always bad. Yeah. And, uh, this is how most Christians in Canada, sorry, this is how a lot of Christians I've come across in Canada feel. This wouldn't necessarily be something that would be, you know, part of their doctrine statement. Um, but emotionally, temperamentally, conflict is bad, always. And um, we need to recognize this is a really unhelpful practical viewpoint because we are constantly in conflict, the scripture says, with the world, uh, with the flesh, with the devil. So we have conflict outside of ourselves. Um, The world hates Christ and they're going to hate us. We have conflict within ourselves every single day. The flesh and the spirit are at war with one another. And we have conflict against the rulers and the principalities and the authorities in the heavenly realms. Against We have an enemy and his followers who are actively seeking to destroy us. We are always, every moment of every day, engaged in conflict. The question is not whether we are going to be in conflict. It's how do we deal with it in faithful ways. Mm-hmm. But if your categories, even if it's just your emotional categories, are conflict is always wrong, Christ came for peace, you know, therefore I need to remove myself from all conflict, you're bad for creating conflict, you will not follow the guy who only had a three-year ministry before he was crucified. Yeah. How how can you follow that guy? As Jesus said, you know, the servant is not better than the master. Like, yeah. why would they persecute me and not persecute you? And we see that. You read through Acts. Uh, I encourage everybody to do that with this these uh, the conflict in your mind. Note every place in there where there's conflict. Mm-hmm. Now, the apostles didn't go around intentionally creating conflict um, well, I suppose they might have been doing it intentionally, but the the point was that the conflict was always generated because of their faithfulness to the message. Yes. So the gospel is offensive. It's a confrontation. It, so it will always bring offense. Yeah, the there, gospel. There's, there's yeah. no way around that. And yeah. So you don't go in there and start saying yo mama jokes to uh, you know no. to offend people and no. create a conflict. Yeah. But if you're being faithful and uh, conflict arises. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not really much you can do about yeah, that. Yeah, Christ came to bring a sword. 
Yeah. And ultimately the sword of his word will bring about peace. Uh, but we need to start as Christians, even just on an emotional level, recognize we are in a war. We are in a war. We need to get over the fact and we need to learn how to be faithful in it. If every time there's a battle, you think, why did this come upon me in peacetime? You, you know, you're never going to man the post. Mm-hmm. So that to me, that's like, that's the big one. And the response of people who think this way is always to criticize courage as rebelliousness, defiance, inappropriate in their tone, et cetera. And, the, mm-hmm. you know, I love the whole, like, I don't necessarily disagree with the principle, but just your how you're doing yeah. it. Um, kind of a sanctimonious remain above it. You know, I don't, I don't need to show any courage, but I don't want to say that I wouldn't agree with that. Yeah. I just don't want to take any flack or be associated with that, uh, you know, moral reprobate over there. Yeah. Now to be clear, like none of us are perfect in anything we do. Right. So we could be, uh, you know, there's, there's a possibility that we could be speaking the truth and maybe our tone is off. Absolutely. And we need to strive to to submit all of that to Christ, right? Yes. To do everything properly. Yep. But we're never going to do it perfectly. No. So there's always, I guess there's always some way somebody could point at us and say, you didn't do that perfectly. Therefore, I'm dismissing the message. Yeah. And the conflict is a problem. Right? Yeah. Well, part of how you get rid of that, you need a distinction. What people often mean by tone is they mean how people perceive it. And while we take people into consideration and in, in what we say, we are not actually morally culpable for someone responding sinfully to what we say. Right. And we are morally culpable for the motivation uh, that we speak with, which will drive the tone that we speak with. And there's in scripture, there's a variety of ways we talk. Sometimes it's, it's patient and gentle, and sometimes it's firm and resolute. And uh, the tone police are often the ones who have one tone, that all other tones are judged by, you know, and does it give room for the diversity of, of communication of scripture? So the conflict is bad thing is a really big problem in the Canadian church. We need to mature. We need to grow. We need to recognize that we are in a conflict. Therefore, how do we faithfully deal with it? I love what you said about, you can still be wrong. And when you have, when you show courage, part of the humility in that is you surround yourself with good men and women, good community who will love you, who have your interests at their heart, um, who have the scriptures, they understand it, and they will they will help you. You know, it's, it's not good to be a, a lone ranger in this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, have a good wife, have good elders, have good church members who feel like they can talk to you, and uh, that'll help. The other thing to kind of go more narrow here I think the problem in the church and the reason there's so little courage is the emasculation of the church and um, things like risk, a willingness to enter into conflict, faithful non-compliance with the world, the flesh and the devil are necessary for any faithful masculinity. Those are the things that the culture sees as bad things. And we see even in their attack of masculinity, this is toxic masculinity. If you were to describe what a godly man looks like, according to the Bible, the way the world sees that is bad, is toxic. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians have taken this kind of position and the church is filled with a lot of men who are not very masculine in a godly sense. 
And so the guys coming up around them uh, are the same way. Like courage is not valued as a pastoral qualification. Mm-hmm. It's actually seen as a liability. Um, you know, you need to be nice. You need to be agreeable. You need to be a good communicator. You need to be knowledgeable. You need to be compliant. And if that's the case, then it's no wonder that the sheep don't have a healthy category for courage because they're following, they're imitating. Mm-hmm. That's that's your job is to lead them courageously through the war that is this life. And if you are just trying to find a peaceful existence, you know, a, a Thomas, a Kinkati painting, you know, that's what you want your ministry to be, a little hobbit hole or something like that. Don't be surprised if, you know, when you actually do stick your head above the turret, the sheep are like, this guy's getting out of line, right? Well, you've been teaching them to live in the Shire, yeah. you know? And and the second you want to go to, to Mordor, it's like, what's this guy doing? Yeah. So um, there's a huge problem with masculinity in the church. And the church does not uh, teach this. The church does not embody this as it ought to. And uh, we need to do that. Um, I think one of the greatest obstacles to this uh, I love Doug Wilson's book, Father Hunger. It's super helpful. Um, one of the most profound points he makes is that um, we see in the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see the Trinity at work, the mm-hmm. Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And we see the Father expressing his love for the Son, expressing his beloved Son, expressing his identity, this is my beloved Son, and his pleasure for the Son with whom I am well pleased. And fathers are central in helping sons develop a secure identity. That is, who am I? What is my job? Yeah. And if you if you don't have a dad that did that, a faithful, godly father, uh, you know, by God's grace, we are adopted into God's family, and God's spirit and God's son can help us to understand that God's word. But there's a serious there's a serious uh, there's a detriment there. Mm-hmm. And we are in a fatherless world and we are increasingly in a fatherless church and we don't look for fathers as pastors. We look for gurus and mentors and heroes, um, this type of thing, but not fathers. And what you have is a whole lot of insecure men and um, insecure men are risk averse. They enter conflict with either a fight or flight mentality, which means they either sinfully engage or they passively avoid. And I've observed this, that the most insecure guys, it's funny, they are the most uh, reticent and passive in certain conflict, but they're the most critical in others. Mm -hmm. The same thing and the same person. Um, It's because it's the same problem. They feel an unhealthy aversion to noncompliance. And the reason is they're insecure in their identity. So they seek to maintain their image, uh, which courage disrupts in the eyes of others. And so this is kind of the elephant in the room. I've been thinking about this and writing about this. Um, but, you know, part of the step to courage is is securing men's identity in Christ, um, helping them to live out of their identity in Christ rather than constantly making and protecting their own. And when you do that, when you try to make your own identity and you try to protect it, courage is a threat. Courage is a threat. Um, because our, we lose our reputation when we're courageous. Uh, we lose the respect of people around us. Um, it's a costly thing. So 
these kinds of guys, you know, in a sense, we're all insecure, but what we do in our insecurity, like you mentioned earlier, is we actually seek to discredit courageous people um, so we can dismiss them. Mm -hmm. And we scoff at courage. We want to avoid responsibility and we discredit uh, courageous men. Luther, or Luther, Lewis talks about this in The Abolition of Man. He says, in this sort of ghastly simplicity, we remove the organ and demand the function. We make men without chests and expect them of them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. We castrate and bid the geldings be fruitful. So we still romanticize courage. You know, we still say, oh, I want someone to be brave. We don't say bravery is bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when someone is actually courageous, we scoff at it. When someone actually sows honor and virtue, we laugh at them. We yeah. scorn them. And then we we wonder when it comes to a conflict, hey, where's all the leaders at? Yeah. Right? Yeah, and we see the, the total inversion of this in Canadian uh, Christian leadership right now. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I read an article last month talking about the courage of pastors that refuse to open their doors. Uh, you know, and I was yeah, yeah, it's shameful. You're, you're saying that the guys that don't want to feed their sheep because of what the world says are the courageous ones because they're standing against the guys that are opening. Yeah, you you are part of the ninety nine point nine 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 percent of people all doing the same thing to yeah. the applause and respect of the world. You are going one hundred percent with the grain. Now that I'm not, maybe that is the right thing to do. Yeah, like uh, you said before, there's but, a category. Yeah, for there's that. a category for that. But but let's just be honest. There's nothing courageous about that. There's nothing courageous about doing what everyone's doing and everyone expects you to do. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of an example. You know, often that side, it's like it's like scoffing. You still want to show courage. You want to show bravery. But so those are the things within the church. There's a, a fear, an aversion to conflict. There's the emasculation in general. There's a massive insecurity in Christians, and I see this in pastors um, as well, owing to a fatherlessness. And these are all undermining courage. Uh, ultimately, this is a lack of faith. You know, people are big, and God is small. So. Um, these are the obstacles, you know, we kind of started on a negative point, but we need to talk about, okay, I'm tracking with you, Jeremy and Alex. Courage is important. There's a lack of it. The world's against it. Often the church sadly is in worldliness is against it. What is it? Why is this important? Um, as I said in the beginning, courage is necessary for faithfulness. And the way I define it, and I'll read some texts, courage is produced and maintained as we, trust the promises of God and obey the commands of God as revealed in the word of God while walking in the presence of God. So we hold fast to God's promises. We obey his commands as revealed in the word, all of it, all of the word, every command while walking in God's presence. And I like that definition because it's leaving out something that's kind of inconsequential and that's the presence of fear. Yeah. So, you know, it doesn't say uh, not having any absence fear. of fear. Yeah, the absence of fear, no. or the the presence or the power of fear. Yeah, how how strong that fear is. Yeah, but it's you know trust and obey, right? Trust mm-hmm. and obey. Mm-hmm. And this also rules out the the kind of caricature of courage, which is just um, reckless recklessness. Having, yeah. yeah, irrational. You know, just 
anger and frustration, yeah. uh, lack of self-control. Um, because when you're actually walking in, in light of God's promises, mindful of them in accordance, uh, in, in, to his commands is revealed in his word in his presence. You know, that's what it means to walk by faith. You're more likely to avoid that ditch either of sinfully engaging or sinfully being passive. Um, and so that's important. So I'm going to read, where do I get this? Deuteronomy 31 and Joshua 1, 6 to 9. I'll read Joshua first because that's where I, I kind of developed this. Be strong and courageous for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. So that's the promise. I made a promise to you. Believe it. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. So there's the obeying the commands. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord, your God is with you wherever you go. There's the presence of God. Hmm. And again, this is repeated Deuteronomy 31. Be strong and courageous. Do not be, do not fear or be in dread of them for it is the Lord, your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. The foundation for faithfulness, the foundation for courage is trusting in God's promises, including his presence. Mm. I'll never leave you or forsake you. So true courage is not something that we just pony up and show. You know, it's not just a manufactured thing. The true courage um, is an expression of faith because true courage is only possible by faith. Right. How do you, how else do you see and believe the promises of God? How else do you see and obey the commands of God? How else do you experience the presence of God except by faith in Christ and through the reception of his spirit? So this is not just, you know, rah, rah, uh, do better, try harder kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I noticed you're quoting the Old Testament there. I thought we were uh, not using the Old Testament anymore. <laughs> is, I thought we were under under grace, not under the law. Yeah, no. Well, all, of, all you... of Scripture is God breathed. So, <laughs> can you give me something from the New Testament, please? <laughs> well, I'm just kidding. Yeah, we we will get to that. Um, you mentioned the absence of fear and Ambrose Redmond. Great name. I don't know him, but a great great name. Yeah. Quote is, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than fear. And I feel like this really draws out the connection between faith and courage. Because right. when you exercise courage, you are doing so in the face of your fear, but you are making a value statement. You are saying that something is more important than that which I fear or the right. consequences I face if I'll do this. Disobedience is more important than my yeah. fear. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's that's, you know, Jesus the parable of the 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 treasure in the field, right? The man sells everything he has and buys the field. That's what the kingdom of God is like. It's worth more. Moses, um, consider the reproach of Christ, greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt and the pleasures therein. You know, this is what true faith is. It's it's seeing the glory of God, the honor of Christ, obedience to him, the good and the love for our neighbor is more important than our own lives, our reputation, our safety, our peace, whatever it is. 
And so when you demonstrate courage, you are fundamentally engaging in an act of love, yeah. selflessness. Yeah. And so, you know, this is, um, this is central. And, um, heard a great, uh, sermon last month from, uh, Ben, our very own, uh, Ben. Shout English. out. Shout out to Ben Inglis. Uh, he, hopefully he can join us next time. Well, hoping so. Yeah. Uh, he preached on, uh, the passage, take up, you know, must take up your cross and follow. Nice. If you want to be my disciple. Yeah. And like everyone knew what that meant back then. Yeah. When Jesus said, take up your cross. It didn't yeah. mean like, this is the, this is the thing you have to put up with. Yes. It yes. Meant get ready to die. Yes. You know, get in line. You're going to be crucified. Yeah. So that's a. I mean, that's. You can imagine how they would have been afraid of that, but they still followed. Yeah. They still followed. They still obeyed. Yes. And most of the disciples, if tradition is correct, paid for their proclamation with yeah. their lives. Right. And we need to, in the pattern of Jesus Christ, explain to people that true, authentic discipleship is always picking up your cross, is um, always engaging in conflict, is always involving a death. To yourself. And that is, that's a scary thing. That's a terrifying prospect mm-hmm. apart from the promises of God in Christ Jesus, apart from his presence with us. Uh, ben actually, just as an aside, he did a, a fantastic uh, set of talks at our conference a couple of years ago on the nature of discipleship, kind of relating mm-hmm. to that. We, I was actually hoping we could um, get that published. So he, that was a recycled sermon then. So oh he, no, he I don't know. Ma- <laughs> no, I don't know. No, no, I don't know if that sermon was. I just mean, it, it, he did a great set of talks, probably yeah. on our church website. If this is true, that courage is ne- is is necessary for faith, is the fruit of faith, and it's it is necessary for real love. Uh, then we agree with Aristotle, who says courage is the mother of all virtues, because without it, you cannot consistently perform the others. If you don't have courage, you won't have patience, you won't have humility, you won't have self-control, you won't have all of these things because all of those require courage. Lewis said, courage is not simply one of the virtues, one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point. Mm. And that's a more helpful way of thinking about it. Courage is, is love at the testing point. Courage is faith at its testing point. Courage is self-control at its testing point. Humility, right. patience, kindness. In order to fulfill all the other virtues, you need the courage at that moment. Yes. Right? When it comes down to it. Yeah. So think about how how important this is then. What that means is that without courage, and if what we're saying is true, there's a severe lack of it. There's a lack of virtue. There's a lack of Christian character. There's a lack of Christian maturity. There's a lack of Christian love and faith because it is, it is every virtue at its testing point. So this is, this is a big problem and it's something we need to take seriously as Christians. Um, kind of the practical question to wrap up this, this segment, the truth is okay. There's challenges to courage. Courage is necessary. Um, I'm not very courageous. I'm, you know, like Alex and Jeremy, we are all lacking in this area. What is the path to cultivating courage? The one thing I want to say on this, faithful with little, faithful with much. One of the easiest ways to avoid courage is to deny its necessity in every particular situation. 
uh, you imagine a context where you actually would show courage. You know, the classic, well, if someone came to, you know, put a sword to my neck or a gun to my head and said, are you a Christian? I would say yes. Hopefully that's true. Uh, but we face a thousand decisions of faithfulness um, before that point. And uh, we think about the Lord Jesus Christ. The passion narrative begins well before in the Gospels, um, the actual crucifixion. Mm-hmm. So we can go to the garden, even before the garden, uh, we think about him looking over Jerusalem. And we know Jesus knew why he came. And when he looked and he wept over Jerusalem, or he would refuse to engage in a certain way because it was not yet his time, what that's saying is he is not backing out. And his temptation. You can have all of these blessings without going to the cross. You can have the kingdom without the cross. It's like, nope, I'm going to go through the cross to do it. He over, he looks over Jerusalem. He, he begins, you know, he sets his face like a flint. His journey to Jerusalem. Well, that is a journey to the cross. Each step was an act of courage. We think of the garden, you know, forget about the cross, the garden, you know, sweating drops of blood, so much distress because the prospect of what was coming, yet not my will, but yours. Test, courage um, is, is, is required in that situation. The cross is the climax, is the result of a thousand decisions of faithfulness, all of which required courage. So people, you know, imagine that they would go to the cross, but they constantly fail in the garden. Right. And that's what we need to realize is like, stop focusing on, on Golgotha and focus on the garden. Mm-hmm. You know, focus on the mountain overlooking uh, Jerusalem. Yeah, That's we, where uh, your focus is. We palliate ourselves a bit by saying, well, if the big thing comes, I'll be faithful then. Yes. Right? I'll be courageous then. Yes. While we're not doing it on a daily basis. So, no. Because that's what you're saying. Yeah. Right? Faithful with little, faithful with much. That's not how virtue grows. And Hebrews drives that home. He says, uh, those who have had their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Hebrews 5.14. The way we grow in all virtue is by constant practice. You you learn how to rightly view, say, a crisis like the one we're in because you've trained yourself every single day uh, to know the difference and act in accordance with the difference between good and evil. Yeah. And uh, that's how you develop courage. It's not by imagining this huge climactic moment. It's by being present in every moment and faithful in that. Hmm. Well, that's really encouraging. Definitely. And uh, it's an encouragement too, to uh, to think of these little things in our day-to-day lives because uh, we fail at them so constantly. Yeah. But um, we shouldn't be discouraged by that. We should offer them to the Lord and pray that he would give us the strength to be courageous. Yeah. And uh, just day, day in and day out, keep, keep plugging away at it, right? So when yeah. big things come, that uh, will be faithful. Yeah. And focusing on God's promises. I mean, that's yeah. what we need to do. We need to fill ourselves with God's promises and by faith, believe them. Um, we need to know his, his will for our life, his commands, and we need to seek to live in the strength of his presence. And that's, that's how you're faithful in those little things. And that's how we will be faithful in the big things. Excellent. Well, we're going to move on to the good segment here. This is going to be a long one this week. Yeah. Yeah, that was the bad segment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the true, true, the good, and the beautiful. The, right. the good, the bad, the ugly. That's right. 
This is the longest half-hour podcast of all time, coming up on 45 <laughs> minutes, and we still got time to go. So I'm going to read a portion from uh, one of my favorite um, novels, Robinson Crusoe by nice. Daniel Defoe, written in the early 1700s. Uh, and if you're not familiar with the story, it's a story of a, a fellow who's shipwrecked on an island. Uh, the entire crew of his boat is killed in the storm that shipwrecks the boat, but he survives and he manages to get enough stuff out of the boat to survive and create a life for himself. And he stays on this island for uh, quite a long time. I won't give away the ending, but uh, stays on there for quite a long time. And so we pick up the story here. He's just uh, come through a, uh, a really intense sickness where he almost dies, and there's an earthquake on the island. So here we are. Uh, and he's so he's he's... Uh, finished this fever and now he falls into a sleep finally after having this sickness. He says, uh, and went to sleep again. In the second sleep, I had this terrible dream. I thought that I was sitting on the ground on the outside of my wall where I sat when the storm blew after the earthquake and that I saw a man descend from a great black cloud in a bright flame of fire and light upon the ground. He was all over as bright as a flame, so that I could but just bear to look towards him. His countenance was most inexpressibly dreadful, impossible for words to describe. When he stepped upon the ground with his feet, I thought the earth trembled, just as it had done before the earthquake, and all the air looked to my apprehension as if it had been filled with flashes of fire. He was no sooner landed upon the earth, but he moved forward toward me with a long spear or weapon in his hand to kill me. And when he came to a rising ground at some distance, he spoke to me, or I heard a voice so terrible that it is impossible to express the terror of it. All that I can say I understood was this, seeing all these things have not brought thee to repentance, now thou shalt die. At which words I thought he lifted up a spear that was in his hand to kill me. No one that shall ever read this account will expect that I should be able to describe the horrors of my soul at this terrible vision. I mean that even while it was a dream, I even dreamed of those horrors, nor is it any more possible to describe the impression that remained upon my mind when I awoke and found it but a dream. I had, alas, no divine knowledge. When I had received, uh, what I had received by the good instruction of my father was then worn out by an uninterrupted series for eight years of seafaring wickedness and a constant conversation with nothing but such as were like myself wicked and profane to the last degree. I do not remember that I had in all my time one thought that so much as tended either to looking upwards to God or inwards toward a reflection upon my own ways. But a certain stupidity of soul without desire of good or conscience of evil had entirely overwhelmed me, and I was all the most hardened, unthinking, wicked creature among our common sailors as can be supposed to be, not having the least sense either of the fear of God in danger or of thankfulness to God in deliverances. Mm -hmm. Great passage leading up to his conversion. Uh, all alone on this island, he meets uh, the Lord and uh, has his conversion experience. And the whole book changes after that. It's a great book. Recommend it to you. And, and you know, literature is a great way to form courage and, and aid in forming courage as we imitate people who actually demonstrate it, as we have examples, living and uh, imaginary. Yeah. So that's a, that's a plug for that as well. Yeah. I thought it would close the podcast with something beautiful. This week is a poem, a sonnet brought to you by John Donne. This is Death, Be Not Proud. 
death be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. For those whom thou thinkst thou dost overthrow, die not, poor death, nor yet canst thou kill me. From rest and sleep, which but thy pictures be, much pleasure, then from thee much more must flow, and soonest our best men with thee do go, rest of their bones and souls delivery. Thou art slave to fate, chance, kings, and desperate men, and dust with poison, war, and sickness dwell, and poppy or charms can make us sleep as well, and better than thy stroke. Why swells thou then? One short sleep past, we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. Death, thou shalt die. That's great. Well, from uh, Alex and I at Dominion Podcast, I look forward to seeing you next time. I'll leave you with this from 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Be strong.